Hello, and welcome to Second Chances, the Persuasion Podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Tom. And we're reading Jane Austen's Persuasion chapter by chapter. And today, we're doing something something a little different. We are reading Volume 1, Chapter 12, but it's a very, very long chapter, and it's a very, very um, interesting chapter. A lot of things happen, so we want to give it its proper due. And unfortunately, we can't do that in the time allotted for a single podcast episode. So we're actually breaking up chapter 12 into two parts. So this is part one. And if you want to listen to part two immediately, that is available on our Patreon. Um, Otherwise, we will post up part two on the same schedule uh, next week. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for that explanation, Grace. We just want to give, uh, have ample time to discuss everything that happens in these chapters and not re- maybe subject you guys to like a five hour long uh, episode. Even though I'm sure, like, I would love to listen to a five hour long episode on this chapter, but alas, the podcast gods have told us that we cannot. Yes, yeah, and thank you for that note, Grace. Yeah, if you just have to hear the conclusion of the chapter right now, you can go to Patreon, but otherwise the, uh... Second part will be up next week, same day. Yep. Uh, and thank you to, to anyone who has already subscribed to our Patreon yes. and gotten access to our review of the the movie, the Netflix movie. <laughs> yes. And that is an option that's open to anyone, should you, if you'd like to hear that now. Uh, otherwise, we'll post that uh, movie review up when we finish the book. All right, so let's get into it. But before we get into Chapter 12... Tom, why don't you give us the quickest recap of Chapter 11? Okay, so Captain Wentworth has been away from Uppercross for two whole days, <laughs> and the reason is because he's been visiting his friend Captain Harville in Lyme, uh, you know, another town in England on the coast, and everyone wants to take a trip there to go see Lyme. Wentworth has just done such a good job describing it, and they want to meet uh, Harville, so... Louisa, Henrietta, Anne, Mary, Charles, they, and Wentworth, of course, they all set off to Lyme for a little trip. Uh, they go walk around this cob, which is like this stone walkway over the uh, shoreline. It's a very nice walk. Uh, we meet Captain Bennick, who, uh, he's living with the Harvilles. He was engaged to Har- Captain Harville's sister, but she died, and now Bennick just kind of like lives with them still, and, uh, we see him and Anne talk, discuss, like, some poetry, right? Yes, he's deep in the throes of grief. Uh, and so, uh, as anyone in experiencing grief does, he's been reading a lot of Byron. <laughs> uh, and Anne tries to encourage him to, you know, read some prose to, <laughs> to try to get the better of his grief. Yeah, not uh, just wallow in his own misery. Benick's a very interesting character. We'll see more of him now. Pre- the last chapter was kind of the Benick show. That's the most we'll see of him, and... Uh, I don't, I, I'm sure we all remember, but he, you know, he's behaving the part of a widower, like, to the T. Everyone's <laughs> like, he behaves very uh, appropriately for a man whose fiance just died, right? Yes. But I think uh, Anne has, like, an interesting moment where she's like, you know, it's not, it's not so bad for him. Our griefs are different. Like, he'll get over his and find another, yes. unlike me, right? <laughs> Who is doomed for spinsterhood. Well, how are you going to top Wentworth? That's right. I guess she just instinctually knows that, like, Benick is... The way he's behaving, it's going to end eventually. He'll find another woman, right? That's right. He's still young. Uh-huh. And spry. Okay, Grace. Well, what happens... What's going to happen in the uh, portion of Chapter 12 that we're going to cover today? Okay. So, in Chapter 12, um, they're still at Lyme. Everyone's at Lyme. Um, Anne and Henrietta, they go to the beach, and then they are met up 
um, with by Louisa and Wentworth. And then they come upon a stranger. And who is that stranger? But Sir Walter Elliot's heir, Mr. Elliot. Mm -hmm. And let's just leave it at that. Okay. All right. Let's get into it. All right. I can't wait. You want to start reading? Sure. Okay. Chapter 12. Anne and Henrietta, finding themselves the earliest of the party the next morning, agree to stroll down to the sea before breakfast. So Anne and Henrietta are the first to wake up and they decide to take a walk to the beach before breakfast. Mm -hmm. They went to the sands to watch the flowing of the tide, which a fine southeasterly breeze was bringing in with all the grandeur which so flat a shore admitted. More nature talk. Mm, yeah, nice description yeah. of uh, this, this beach and uh, this shoreline, right? They praised the morning, gloried in the sea, sympathized in the delight of the fresh-feeling breeze, and were silent. Mm-hmm. Till Henrietta suddenly began with... And do you want to read Henrietta sure. for... Um, I'll just start by saying that uh, this is kind of... I like this odd this odd pairing of Anne and Henrietta. Like They truly have nothing in common. Uh, and we haven't really... We've, we haven't seen them alone together in this book before because why would they be alone together, right? Henrietta's right. basically always with Louisa. And Anne is kind of there as like Mary's like... You know, she's taking care of Mary almost, almost right? like Mary's governess or something. Uh, <laughs> Um, so kind of just like a funny pairing, funny random pairing, and, uh, of course they have nothing to say to each other. Like you said, they're like, this is so nice, isn't this such a nice scene? And then we're silent. <laughs> uh, oh, I also want to mention before we go on, I apologize for any increase in background noises oh, during right. this episode. We, uh, I've recently moved to a new apartment, so we are recording this over, overlooking a busy street in Bath, and, <laughs> uh... <laughs> People are out, so if you hear any uh, any fishmongers or carriages <laughs> passing by, that's the reason. Exactly. Okay, so here's how Henrietta breaks the silence. Oh yes, I am quite convinced that, with very few exceptions, the sea air always does good. There can be no doubt if it's having been of the greatest service to Dr. Shirley after his illness last spring 12 month. So, uh, last spring 12 month, like last, last year, right? Yeah, the spring of last year. Uh-huh. Um, so she's like, I'm quite convinced, with very few exceptions, Sierra always does good. There can be no doubt of it's having done the greatest service to Dr. Shirley. That is like, like, like S-tier level, like, pivoting the conversation to what you want to talk about. Uh-huh. Ah, yes, this breeze, it, it does, it is so good for your health, just like it was so great for Dr. Shirley last year, last spring, 12 months ago. Yeah, I like this little maneuver uh, <laughs> Henrietta creates here, right, uh, executes, which is, we're talking about the sea. C equals health. Health equals. Let's talk about Doctor Shirley, right? Yes. And why do we? Why does Henrietta care about Doctor Shirley? Well, she wants this whole speech is about how she wants Doctor Shirley to retire so that Charles Hayter can take over his position. That's right. Doctor Shirley is a clergy member, as as we've mentioned before, and she wants uh, Hayter to, like, basically take over for Doctor Shirley. Yeah. And so this is why Henrietta is so so much pulling for the fa- the uh, hope that Shirley will retire and live in a place like Lyme, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll well before I go on, we'll just say that like the fact that she's thinking about Charles Hayter again and the whole Doctor Shirley situation, like what is what is this indicating here? Why do you think Austin included this part? Oh well, it just it just kind of um, reminds you that Henrietta is with Charles Hayter now, like um, like Henrietta and 
Charles Hader are like almost basically in, um, engaged. Right, and uh, which means, and you know, yeah. in, in perfect, uh, in perfect um, alignment with what Louisa planned with that big walk a few chapters ago. Uh, because what's the the fact that Hader and Henrietta are together? What does that mean for the narrative? Oh, that Louisa can then. What, what, focus on Wentworth? Yeah, I think it just means that Henrietta is definitely over Wentworth. Ah, you yes. know, this is, she has gone back to the subject that is truly close to her heart, which is Charles Hayter, <laughs> like, getting that clergy position in her own neighborhood, right? Yeah, and it wasn't even that long ago where, like, when Hayter tried to bring up the subject of Dr. Shirley, like, Henrietta could not be bothered. She was, like, sort of, like, half listening to Hayter, half, uh -huh. like, asking when Wentworth is coming back or something like that. And so, is like... She's a very flip-floppy kind of person. I Maybe think. if we made this trip a week ago, she'd see the sea and be like, ah, the sea, like, think of the adventures Wentworth had on there, right? right. Uh, and now she sees it, and it's like, ah, the sea. Think of the, what health, what, what good it will do for Dr. Shirley's health, right? Yeah, when he finally decides to retire. Uh, okay. Uh, so Dr. Shirley declares himself that coming to Lyme for a month did him more good than all the medicine he took. And that being by the sea always makes him feel young again. Remember, there's like a, a seemingly one of the uh, golden like facts of uh, Regency era medicine is that sea air is good for your health, right? I mean, I believe it, but it's also like, well, I also don't know the state of medicine at the time, but yeah, like truly there's something like real just something really healing about the sea mm -hmm. and how sea bathing will set someone up for life <laughs> <laughs> i guess the word about uh lime is out if dr shirley has been he's already visited here himself mm. okay so uh dr shirley declared that himself that lime nothing did him more good than being in line for a month right mm -hmm. uh now I cannot, oh, and that being by the sea always makes him feel young again. Hey, this information actually is going to play something of a part in Anne's life. The fact that mm. sea air is rejuvenate, rejuvenative, yes. makes you feel young. Uh, now I cannot help thinking it a pity that he does not live entirely by the sea. <laughs> Why doesn't he just leave? Why doesn't he just get out of Uppercross and let Charles Hayter be in charge, right? She's definitely uh -huh. framing it in a way that's like, Dr. Shirley would definitely benefit from coming to Lyme and living here permanently. Uh -huh. But of course she's thinking about Charles Hayter's like, future posting as right. the, the uh, clergyman of Uppercross. Yeah, it's not even enough for Shirley to be away sometimes. Like, he's just gotta move here, right? <laughs> uh, I do think he had better leave Uppercross entirely and fix that Lyme. Do not you, Anne? Do not you agree with me that it is the best thing he could do, both for himself and Mrs. Shirley? She has cousins here, you know, and many acquaintance, which would make it cheerful for her. And I am sure she would be glad to get a place where she could have medical attendance at hand in case of his having another seizure. Wow, this Dr. Shirley is in a bad way. Yeah, well, that's probably why. It's like, I, I can sort of... I mean, I, I I see now the full picture of like Henrietta's, you know, her circumstance where it's like this this honestly it's like this old man who refuses to retire uh, yeah. and you know he refuses to just, you know, give up his posting so that you know, my future husband can then have the job and he's just like, clinging on to this uh, this job that he doesn't need anymore. Yeah, yeah. Why doesn't he just move or die already? Get on with it. Honestly, like, uh, either have a seizure that <laughs> leads to your death, or have a seizure that leads leads you to that. And or of course, lime, rather, you sorry. know, Charles Hader being the clergyman of uh, Uppercross is going to be like a huge advantage to her. Like, 
her husband, you know, she gets to stay in the neighborhood with her family, like, and her beloved sister. It's just, like, the only thing standing her way is this Dr. Shirley. Um, that, that, would, that would also be huge for, like, a, some like someone from the hater, like, family. Oh, yeah, to get the, the cure, or, you know, the clergy, to be the clergyman of Upper Cross. Yeah. yeah. His own parents can't even, like, read, and here he is about to become... You know, you know, fingers crossed, you know, uh, the, the, the clergy, the leading, the religious leader of Upper Cross. Just Dr. Shirley would retire. <laughs> or die. Uh, okay, Henrietta goes on. Indeed, I think it quite melancholy to have such excellent people as Dr. and Mrs. Shirley, who have been doing good all their lives, wearing out their last days in a place like Upper Cross, <laughs> where, excepting our family, they seem shut out from all the world. I wish his friends would propose it to him. I really think they ought. <laughs> and, as to procuring a dispensation, there could be no difficulty at his time of life and with his character. Okay, what's a dispensation, Grace? Basically like a retiring from his post. It's just like the permission from his higher-ups to be like, yeah, you're good to go, dude. <laughs> uh, my only doubt is whether anything could persuade him to leave his parish. He is so very strict and scrupulous in his notions... Over-scrupulous, I must say. Do not you think, Anne, it is being over-scrupulous? Do not you think it is quite a mistaken point of conscience when a clergyman sacrifices his health for the sake of his duties, which may be just as well performed by another person? And there it is. Uh -huh. I love how she's drawing Anne into this. This is not a conversation. No. Uh, yeah, but she, this has basically come to the point. Don't you think it's, like, irresponsible of Dr. Shirley to be, like, prolonging, like, his residency as, uh, the clergyman of Upper Cross when someone else could do it, right? It is also, like, very interesting, like, because you said before, like, insight into Henrietta's character, because it is sort of, it's always been Henrietta and Louisa, with, like, Louisa obviously being the more, um, the more, like, uh, um, let's, like... She, like, Louise is the one calling out the shots. Louise is in charge. Yeah, yeah, Louise yeah. is in charge. So, like, Henrietta, when she's left alone, like, this is what's in, in Henrietta's mind, is, like, f like, like, she has her own world going on, you know? She has a world beyond this whole Wentworth and Louisa situation. Like, she's mm. just thinking about, hey... When is my when is my future husband gonna get this job already? <laughs> I feel like it also kind of speaks to the nature, like the role that Anne plays with the Musgroves, with this like extended party of Upper Cross, which is kind of just like a sounding board. Yeah, like Anne has yeah. no Anne has no. First of all, she has no like stake in this whether or not Hater is gonna get this um, clergy position, but also like Anne has no power to influence. Like, like, heard me yeah. saying, like, oh, like, wouldn't it be great if his friends would convince him of that? And it's like, what is, what is, Anne's not a, Anne has no sway in that. With Dr. Shirley. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it doesn't talk about her relationship with him, but assumedly she has no influence with him, right? That's right. Like you uh -huh. said, like, Henrietta is definitely, like, just kind of treating Anne as, like, a sounding board. These are rhetorical questions she's asking her. Like, she's not waiting for a response. Mm -mm. Um, I think it also, above all of this, also shows that Henrietta is not the most, like, interesting person in the world to be around. Like, she's going to talk yeah. about this one particular thing that concerns her the most, which is when will this clergyman retire, which yeah. is only interesting to her because of what, like, the results would be. Henrietta's, like, to your point, yeah, like, she's not really talking about books she's read or uh, anything like that. Yeah, she's talking about kind of, like, this very 
insular like concern of hers this one concern that like is only only important to her basically yeah. yeah she's gone on this huge rant about it right so let me just read this sentence one more time do not you think it is quite a mistaken point of conscience when a clergyman sacrifices his health for the sake of his duties which may be just as well performed by another person <laughs> and that line too only 17 miles off he would be near enough to hear if people thought there was anything to complain of. Like, it's funny. I'm Maybe these are things that Charles Hayter has said to her. And now she's just, like, parroting, like, what he said. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure Charles Hayter is also frustrated with this Dr. Shirley refusing to retire. And he's had these same gripes of, like, you know, there is such a thing as being overscrupulous. Uh -huh. And, you know, Lyme is only 17 miles away. And, you know... If I, Charles Hayter, did such a bad job at this clergy position, then I'm sure Dr. Shirley would hear of it, too. Yeah, exactly. And she also, or I don't know where it comes from, but there, she has a built-in contingency plan to this <laughs> whole, whole thing. It's like, he'll be close enough to hear, like, if Charles Hayter, like, just... royally messes it up, right? <laughs> uh, this is definitely, like, you know... The, we're seeing the culmination of a lot of thought, of a long, like, process of thought on this particular subject. Right. I wonder if Henrietta has talked about this with Louisa, you know? I mean, it says that, like, you know, when she was in the heat of being interested in Wentworth, it says that she had kind of let go of, like, once, this was a topic close to her heart that she dropped for a little while <laughs> when Wentworth was around, and now is picking it back up again. Yeah. So, assumedly, they, Louisa and Henrietta, have discussed this. So this is the only topic of conversation that Henrietta is either interested in or capable of. Uh, it went, <laughs> Dr. Shirley retiring, Wentworth for like two weeks maybe, maybe not even, back to Dr. Shirley retiring. <laughs> uh, okay, you want to read? Anne smiled more than once to herself during this speech and entered into the subject as ready to do good by entering into the feelings of a young lady as of a young man. Though here it was good of a lower standard for what could be off be offered but general acquiescence and who is this young man um uh what's his name bennick yeah because just a chapter ago she was offering advice to bennick and here now she's sort of or rather she's she's being the good like listener mm -hmm. of bennick and here she is being the good like listener of henrietta right i think that's what it means to enter into the feelings yeah. she's being like a responsive sympathetic right. listener right right, right. definitely but... like a role yeah go ahead no way like a role Anne has created for herself here. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm the sympathetic friend, right? right? I'm a sympathetic ear, basically. It's such a, that's a great point. She is sort of, the first, like, part of the persuasion, she is playing the the best friend role uh -huh. in, like, a lot of rom-com movies, but soon we'll see she's gonna take center stage. Right. Well, I mean, you know, totally off topic. Well, kind of on topic, but uh, <laughs> just like how Austin both created these sort of, you know, romantic com comedy conventions that we see and then subverts them herself. Mm -hmm. This is almost like if she, like, you know, took, like, Charlotte from Pride and Prejudice mm -hmm. and she was like, what if I wrote the Charlotte book, you know? Right. Or something, like, the book where the best friend is the main character. Or, like, the, uh, is it Henrietta and Emma? Um, Harriet. What, Harriet, yeah. What if Harriet was the main character of a book, kind of, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Um, okay, all right, yeah. So, yes, she's just as ready to do good by hearing out Henrietta's rant about Dr. Shirley as she was, uh, you know, doing good by talking to Bennick about Lord Byron last night. Yeah. Okay. But then it's funny because, though here it was good of a lower standard for what could be offered but general acquiescence. It's like, 
Well, she's less like use quote unquote like useful or whatever like in this conversation with Henrietta because then it goes on to say um and said all that was reasonable and proper on the business mm-hmm. you know because like or uh, felt the claims of Dr. Shirley to repose as she ought said how very desirable it was that he should have some active respectable young man as a resident curate and was even courteous enough to hint at the advantage of such resident curates being married yeah so Anne is like humoring her playing into like giving Henrietta everything she wants right yeah she is like I know exactly what you're saying that you wanted to be hater and you want hater to marry you right right yeah. right so yeah it's it's a little different because it's like Anne believes you know telling Benick to hey like you should you should widen your um variety of readings because only reading Byron is just gonna hurt you like you mm-hmm. should read some other books or whatever to kind of help you like pr- like process your grief rather than just like wallow in it right and that's like i think more substantial advice oh, than yeah. just like telling henry like i agree yes it's st- it, yes you're right upper cross would benefit from a younger curate and you know what a married one too right. <laughs> um it's interesting she actually pushes back in benick a little bit in yeah. their conversation she's like you know i hear you but you Maybe cut back on the Byron a little bit, right? Or you need to read some more prose. (laughs) You need to eat your greens. (laughs) Uh Whereas here, it's just like, I guess it's just like, what what can she say? Like, what is, this conversation is, you know, a null anyway. What is there to say other than just like, affirm everything Henrietta wants to hear, right? Yeah, and I love this. Like, was even courteous enough to hint that, um, like, you know, she even, like, says the thing that Henrietta hasn't said yet, which is, like, yeah, like, hater, yes, a hater should get that job, and he should marry you. <laughs> right. Because all Henrietta's talking about is how it would be for the benefit of Shirley to retire, right? Mm-hmm. Not the benefit of, like, getting someone new in the neighborhood. That's yeah. Anne, who's, like, maybe it would be better to have a younger clergyman, yeah. right? But, like, to even push that even farther, the real overarching thing that Henrietta wants is to get married. Yeah. So, and... Well, to be married to the clergyman of Uppercross. That's right. I think that's, like, her treasured goal. And, like, if if it's Hater, great. If it's someone else than Hater, like, not a big deal, right? <laughs> the, per- the person who it is is kind of beside the point. It seems like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Henrietta does have a... I mean, you know, according to the Musgroves, she does like him. And she does seem to. Yeah. <laughs> no, I guess it all just works out. But, yeah. I don't know. I think it's just, like, it speaks to the nature... Anne is like, I am the do-gooder, I am the sympathetic ear who is going to, uh, you know, help people with my responses and never bring up anything of my own personal interest. That's right. And with Benick, it, like, offered her the opportunity to push back on him a little bit and actually discuss her interests a little. Where here, it's just like, there's nothing. The The best way Anne determines to do good here is just to affirm Henrietta and repeat what she said. And, like, draw it out a little bit more. Like you said, like, bring out the subtext of what it really means. Yeah. Honestly, like, and that's honestly, like, really good friending, you know? It's like, it's like, she she gets it, she gets, she very easily pick up picks up the hint. Like, she, like you said, Anne and Henrietta don't know each other very well, mm-hmm. but Anne knows Henrietta enough that, like, the number one thing on her mind is that she wants to marry the clergyman of Uppercross. So, like, Anne, being a really good friend here, is saying the thing that Henrietta isn't actually, like, saying. And maybe, like, in that way, like, all Henrietta wanted was someone to, like, agree with her. That it's like, that's like, yes, you should be married uh, to the clergyman of Upper Cross. Like, maybe Henrietta's a little too shy and, like, a little, not as brazen enough to say that part out loud. But, but like, 
also like it's almost it's almost um she's um um like kind of just like what's the word like almost condescending to Henrietta to be like yeah I hear what you're saying you're right Dr. Shirley should retire and there should be a newer clergyman and he should be married <laughs> I think it's fair to say condescending not in like a mean way but just in like a way that Anne is a superior intellect who is trying to like be friendly to Henrietta who is like clearly concerned with like one very immediate thing <laughs> right Getting married. <laughs> uh, getting married to... And getting married to someone who has a good job. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you want to read what Henrietta says? Uh, well, there's still a little bit more of this. Oh, you finished the paragraph. Yes. Yeah. So, I wish, said Henrietta, very well pleased with her companion. <laughs> I bet. I wish Lady Russell lived at Uppercross and were intimate with Dr. Shirley. Hmm. I've always heard of Lady Russell as a woman of the greatest influence with everybody. I always look upon her as able to persuade a person to anything. I'm afraid of her, as I have told you before. Quite afraid of her, because she is so very clever. But I respect her amazingly, and I wish we had such a neighbor at Uppercross. Okay, time out. This is... A lot of weird. information. This is interesting. A very interesting thing for Henrietta to bring up now. Right. Why do you think she's talking about, like, Lady Russell? Well, what does she, okay, what does she say is the reason that she's thinking of Lady Russell now? I guess, well, hey, you know, maybe she's sort of like, oh, I know Lady Russell is close with Anne. Maybe, like, we can talk about that. Maybe she's sort of, like, giving a little to into the conversation. Be like, okay, Anne, we can talk about you now. Like, I know your friend is Lady Russell, and I respect her and all that stuff. But also, like, she says, you know, I wish, um... A, like Lady Russell were intimate with Dr. Shirley because Henrietta knows that Lady Russell or Hen what Henrietta knows we can assume is that Lady Russell persuaded Anne to reject Charles Musgrove. That's which, what they believe. That's, that's not true, believe. but that's what they believe happened. Yes. So maybe in Henrietta's mind, she's like, oh, so Lady Russell has the power of persuasion. Mm -hmm. Like she can persuade Dr. Shirley to retire. She's got the magic touch. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. I wish, she, she, uh -huh. I wish Dr. Shirley had a friend like Lady Russell, asterisk, who would then tell him to retire to Lyme. <laughs> right. Um, it's very interesting, but yeah, I think that's okay. I think that's the reason she brings her up because it's like and you're here and i remember they said that lady russell dissuaded you from marrying charles and right. she must have the magic persuasive touch if uh he can she can dissuade you from uh, accepting such a catch right <laughs> so if only there were a lady russell that lived at Uppercross that could like you know have that kind of influence with dr shirley i yeah go ahead no what are you saying i guess i think uh like, kind of what you were saying, like, to, uh, the deeper thing that Henrietta's trying to do here is, like, say something of interest to Anne, like, try to, like, make conversation that might be interesting to her, right? Maybe. Well, it's also interesting here that, um, Henrietta says, I am afraid of her, as I have told you before. <laughs> yeah. Quite afraid of her, uh -huh. because she is so very clever. We've never heard that, like, we as readers don't know that this happened. We never saw this happen. Yeah. But... Sure, maybe Henry had at one point said, oh, Lady Russell, I'm very afraid of her. Maybe. I, you know, 
it means that she's extremely intimidated by Lady Russell. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is, is probably fair. I don't think a Henrietta would do well well in Lady Russell's uh, opinion. I think Louisa would hold her own against Lady Russell, but Lady Russell would not think highly of her, maybe. Mm, yeah. Well, she's afraid of her because she is so very clever, which is an interesting thing to say. Like, uh, it's like, I, I, like, I'm afraid of her, but I do respect her because she is so very clever. I mean, maybe she holds this, like, mystical, like, presence, like, for the Musgroves, because to her, to them, she'll always be the woman who dissuaded Anne from accepting Charles. Right, which, again, is not true. <laughs> uh, but it's like, she's so clever, like, look what she can do, you know, she can make, like, like, what else can she persuade people of? Lady Russell is quite a formidable character. Like, she is a widow. Mm -hmm. um, she's a widow. She never remarried. She kind of, she has her own money, basically. Yeah. And she has this seemingly power to persuade, to a uh, persuasion, like, mm -hmm. to dissuade Anne from marrying her brother, Charles. Right. And she's also just, like, generally has a good position in life. Like, as being the close friend of the Elliots, you know, That's even right. even though Sir Walter's ridiculous and they've spent themselves into like financial ruin, like <laughs> to be like uh, this widow who's not of high, you know, of like gentle birth, of high birth, to be like close to this family is a big thing for Lady Russell. It's like a big accomplishment for her. Mm. Um. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is it going to? What does it say after this? Um. Okay. Anne was amused by Henrietta's manner of being grateful, <laughs> and amused also that the course of events and the new interests of Henrietta's views should have placed her friend, Lady Russell, mm. at all in favor with any of the Musgrove family. Well, let's stop there for a second. Yeah. So it says, Anne was amused by Henrietta's manner of being grateful. What's that mean? Like, oh, I wish we had a friend like Lady Russell at Uppercross. Uh -huh. So wait, what is Henrietta grateful for? What is she grateful for? I think, like, Anne's kind attentions for, uh, like, all the nice things she said about how, yeah, Dr. Shirley should retire. Yeah, yeah. And I think that in Anne's mind, uh, you know, Henrietta is grateful that Anne said these things and, like, as a reward to Anne to, like, you know, as a throwing a bone to Anne, she's going to talk about her friend now. That's right. right. This is her manner of, like, being grateful for Anne's, like, you know, kindly interest in mm -hmm. the Dr. Shirley affair, which is... Oh, you know, Lady Russell's a pretty, I know, I'm, I'm terrified of her, but... But she seems <laughs> yeah, really she cool seems, too. Yeah, yeah. And I really uh, respect her. If only we had someone like her that right. lived in our neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. That's so funny. If only we had a friend like her as well. Yeah. And also, right, this is all referencing what the Musgroves think, that uh, she, that Lady Russell is at all in the favor of any of the Musgrove family. Right. right. Because, you know, according to the Musgroves, Lady Russell is the reason Anne didn't marry Charles Musgrove. And we all know that they all prefer Anne to marry. Yeah. And of course, everyone knows this, but it is actually quite the opposite. Yes. Lady Russell wanted Anne to accept Charles Musgrove. Right. Um, she, Anne had only time, however, for a general answer and a wish that such another woman were at Uppercross before all subjects suddenly ceased on seeing Louisa and Captain Wentworth coming towards them. Ooh, okay. Uh, just to talk one more question about this whole conversation between Henrietta and Anne. Now, I'm not even sure. I don't know how I feel, but I'll, I'll go ahead and throw it out there. Do you think there's some implication in what Henrietta is saying that she wants Anne to be that Lady Russell type oh. to live in Uppercross and dispense, like 
kindly, like, dispense wisdom and persuasion. I don't think she's thinking that far. Okay. Anne hasn't been... Anne hasn't shown herself to be that kind of person. If anything, maybe Henrietta kind of relates to Anne in a bit. That's sort of like... Henrietta wishes that she had a friend who could who could persuade, who has this power of persuasion, because Henrietta also feels kind of um, like, like, like she has no power to Mm -hmm. dissuade, to make Dr. Shirley retire. But she knows Anne has this like mystical, like persuasive friend who can move mountains, apparently. So like, maybe Henrietta's like, oh, I wish I had a friend who had that kind of power. And then maybe she can also persuade Dr. Shirley to you know get out of dodge or something right i mean uh it is like she does seem feel very powerless this whole speech i wish his friends would say something right yeah. as if like her opinion has no right uh you know and it very well might not like mean anything to dr shirley but uh yeah. i don't and maybe like it doesn't she's not saying Anna, and i wish Anne, you were that person i just feel like it kind of creates this weird hypothetical situation in my mind at least where Anne. Like, the role she moves into, which is the role that, you know, not the role Anne finishes in by the end of the book, is that she becomes a Lady Russell type. She becomes, like, a single woman who, like, just lives on this, like, family's property, and it's kind of like a helper to the family, Mm -hmm. to the Musgroves, maybe, in this hypothetical. I see what you mean. Um... I, I think it would just be a different kind of helper, you know? Uh-huh. Anne's role as a helper is not to, like, encourage people to make certain decisions. It's right. to just kind of be a sounding board. Yeah. Um, and also, well, yeah, it's also interesting, like, Anne... He, oh, sorry, Henrietta says, yeah, I wish Dr. Shirley's friends would convince him. And then later she goes on to say, I wish Dr. Shirley had a friend like Lady Russell or something uh, like that. Okay, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, let's move on. So they see uh, Captain Wentworth and Louisa coming to them, just out on a walk by themselves. <laughs> yeah, which is totally, you know, not good. Um, they came also for a stroll till breakfast was likely to be ready. But Louisa, recollecting immediately afterwards that she had something to procure at a shop, invited them all to go back with her into the town. They were all at her disposal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's a great, just, you know, description of Louisa. Everyone's at her disposal. Exactly. All right, pay attention here. (laughs) (laughs) When they came to the steps leading upwards from the beach, a gentleman at the same moment preparing to come down politely drew back and stopped to give them way. Mm -hmm. They ascended, they ascended and passed him. And as they passed, Anne's face caught his eye and he looked at her with a degree of earnest admiration which she could not be insensible of. She was looking remarkably well, her very regular, very pretty features, having the bloom and freshness of youth restored by the fine wind which had been blowing on her complexion and by the animation of eye which it had also produced. It was evident that the gentleman, completely a gentleman in in manner, admired her exceedingly Mm. captain wentworth looked around at her instantly in a way which showed his noticing of it wentworth gave her a momentary glance a glance of brightness which seemed to say that man is struck with you and even i at this moment see something like anne elliot again 
Wow. Thank hot you for that reading, Grace. <laughs> Very hot. Uh, okay. I love how, you know, just like all these tiny little gestures, like the mo, like a matter of maybe like a couple seconds, how it just like is so charged with meaning and like sensuality also. Mm-hmm. What, what is like the very important thing that happens in this paragraph that we haven't seen in this book before? Someone's like, t- like, Noticing Anne. Someone just, like, looked at her. Yeah. Right? Like, really looked. Yeah. Uh Okay, so what's happening here exactly? Okay. So, okay. Um, They're at the beach. Yeah. It's Anne, Henrietta, Louisa, and Wentworth. Right. They're at the beach. They're about to come up to these steps, which they have to ascend to get back into town. Mm -hmm. And as they arrive, a gentleman, at the same time, preparing to come down. Right drew back, and stopped to give them way. Like, right. he stepped to the side so that they can go up. Well, he's a gentleman, isn't he? Yeah. You know, uh, so they go up and pass okay. him. And then what happens? And as they pass, Anne's face caught his eye. This and, gentleman. This, gen- yeah, this, this no gentleman. Gentleman. Guy. So Anne, as they're passing, Anne looks and sees his eye, him looking at her. Mm. And he looked at her with a degree of earnest admiration. Which she could not be insensible of. Love that double negative. Uh, she could not. She could not ignore. Basically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, she sees him looking at her, and he is looking at her in such a way that's like he admires me. I can just tell. You know, I, I can't even, even in like the way I like to dissemble everything. I even I can't deny it that he is looking he's, at me. Right? He's checking uh, her out. He admires me. And then who, I think this is like Austin coming in. Yeah. She was looking remarkably well, right? Mm-hmm. Her very regular, very pretty features. So this is, Anna's always had regular pretty features. Mm-hmm. But now they have the bloom and freshness of youth restored by the fine wind which had been blowing on her complexion and by the animation of her eye which had, it had also produced. It's that sea air, man. Yeah, Something yeah. about that sea air is making Dr. Shirley age backwards yeah, and making Anne exactly. age backwards. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> Bloom and freshness of youth has been restored to her mm-hmm. by the fine wind that's been blowing on her complexion. Ah, that bloom. Uh, <laughs> that bloom we've been talking about. And it's also, this bloom has, like, animated her eyes. She has, like, life in her eyes in a way that she hasn't had in, like, eight years. That's right. right? And this, the sea air is just blowing on her cheeks and probably making them, like, rosy pink again. Uh-huh. She is just beaming. I mean, she is a part, like, she has become a part of the world again. I feel like she has been restored back to life. If she was, like, basically a living corpse at, you know, Kelly Inch for the last eight years. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's back to life, and this man is looking at her, this gentleman. It is evident that the gentleman admired her exceedingly. Mm-hmm. Completely a gentleman in manner. That's right. He, you know, got out of the way, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Did the gentlemanly thing. And then I really like this. Uh, this is, okay, this is great. Captain Wentworth looked around at her instantly in a way which showed his noticing of it. Because, of course, he noticed it, too, right? Yeah, he's, he's looking. I love yeah. these, like, yeah, like you said, like these, like, microseconds of, like, eye contact where, mm-hmm. like, this gentleman looks at Anne. Anne sees this gentleman looking at her. Captain Wentworth sees this man looking at Anne. It's, like, milliseconds, like, of, right. of, of charged, like, like, yeah, of, like, feelings. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, and that's such a... Well, let's finish this paragraph and then we can okay. talk it. Um, yeah, he gave her a momentary glance, a glance of brightness. So this is a happy glance. He is not upset by 
this man admiring Anne at all. If anything, this has, like, made him happy, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's fair to say. A glance of brightness. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, like yeah. he's struck. Uh-huh. Like, again, but, like, struck in a good way. Yeah, it's a pleasant surprise yeah. for him, right? And... Uh, a glance of brightness which seemed to say, and I think this is Anne's reading of it, Yeah. that man is struck with you, and even I, at this moment, see something like Anne Elliot again. Well, do we remember what Captain Wentworth's initial um, observation of Anne was when they met again for the first time in eight years? That she was so altered, he hardly recognized her, right? And here we are. He sees something like Anne Elliot again. It's not, I love it. It's not like the old, he doesn't see the old Anne Elliot again or the young Anne Elliot again. It's something, it's just Anne Elliot again. Whoever this person was that he had been seeing did not register in his brain as Anne. This mm. was like some other human. <laughs> and now, and you know, this classic romance, now that another man admires her, he can see her as Anne again, right? Yeah, well, not just Anne, Anne Elliot. Anne Elliot. Like, uh -huh. you know, like with him we're holding that nut, it's like, this is like Louisa Musgrove. Yeah. And here he is, like, putting Anne in this sort of, like, role as, like, Anne Elliot. The woman who stole my heart, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. Um, and I like, you know, it's really nice that Wentworth is made happy by this. That he actually is, he likes it. I think that's fair to say he likes it that this man has been struck by Anne, right? Yeah. It does not upset him. Not yet, no. <laughs> not yet. But if any, I mean, it does maybe like make her, it makes her more desirable again to Wentworth. I think that's fair to say. Yes. Just based on this little look that he gives her. Yeah. But it's also like, it's not a, a jealous feeling yet. You know, mm. it's, or it's not a feeling of jealousy that Wentworth has right now. I think it's a feeling of like, wow, you know. She's back. She's back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back and better than ever. Which, of course, in the movie, they just totally, <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist talking about it. They totally mess up by having, like, Wentworth, like, upset and jealous the very moment this happens. Immediately engaging in, like, a dick measuring uh, contest. Sorry. <laughs> it's just that, like, Austin's a good writer, and whoever wrote those that movie are, are not, you know. <laughs> It's like you, she takes this moment and like makes it like an unexpected moment that's then made even more unexpected by like Wentworth sharing in the joy of it, kind of. Yeah, which demonstrates, I guess also like his, his that he's a good man, you know, uh -huh. he's, he's a, he's also a gentleman. He's not, you know, suddenly becoming like possessive of Anne, be like, hey, that's my ex you're looking uh -huh. at. He's like, wow, there she is again, this person that I've been maybe waiting to see again uh -huh. after seeing her like after all this like the the months that we've been spending together right like this is the this is the Anne Elliot I've been waiting for uh-huh I think he would I think Wentworth as of right now like what he thinks is he wants Anne to like move on right move on with her life probably yeah maybe I mean he has with his or at least he says to himself he has I think maybe you're right yeah yeah maybe you're right it's a it's a conflict of emotions uh -huh. it's like yes maybe he I think well yeah ultimately he's just happy that Anne Elliot is back. The Anne Elliot that he mm. remembers, um, the bright, blooming, beautiful Anne Elliot is back. And of course he needs another man to look at her <laughs> to, to come to this conclusion. <laughs> I think the takeaway for Anne is this, this thing that she thinks that Wentworth's expression is saying, which is even I at this moment see something like Anne Elliot again, mm. being like, and I think the and Anne is taking pleasure from this moment, but I think the pleasure doesn't come from, look at this gentleman admiring me. Mm. It's like, 
Wentworth has been jolted back into admiring. Like, there's something of the old admiration in Wentworth again. That's as right. Set off by this gentleman admiring admiring me, right? That's right. It's almost it's almost like clinical the way that Anne is describing like herself being looked at. Mm-hmm. It's like um, it was evident that the admi- gentleman admired her exceedingly. It doesn't say anything about how she feels being like the the object of this gentleman's like attention. It uh. it, it talks more about. Um, and noticing Wentworth, no, like, noticing Wentworth realizing Anne is the object of a gentleman's attention. Right. Yeah, that's where the pleasure for Anne comes in. Yeah. Which is great, because uh, they belong together. <laughs> okay. okay. Alright, great moment. I mean, so, so charged. I mean, we're basically watching, like, like a threesome happen <laughs> on page through looks, right? Yes. Like this is come on, this is this is sexy stuff, and this is like moving, and this is moving paper, but it's doing it in a great way. It's so subtle. Mm-hmm. It's almost like in slow motion, you can uh-huh. see what's happening. Okay. Do you want to keep going? Sure. After attending Louisa through her business and loitering about a little longer, they returned to the inn, and Anne, in passing afterwards, quickly from her own chamber to their dining room. Had nearly run again into the had nearly run against the very same gentleman as he came out of an adjoining apartment. Whoa! Pa- I'm noticing the word "passing" is coming up several times here in reference to Mr. Elliot, but mm-hmm. uh, I guess it's just to indicate how quick these glimpses are. Mm-hmm. So they just finish. Louisa finishes her shopping or whatever she's got to do, and then they go back to the inn. And Anne, in passing afterwards, quickly from her own chamber to the dining room, like going through the hall of this inn. Mm-hmm. Nearly runs against the very same gentleman from the steps, coming out of an adjoining apartment. She had before conjectured him to be a stranger like themselves, meaning he doesn't live in Lyme, correct? Mm, Yeah. Uh, She had before conjectured him to be a stranger like themselves, and determined that a well-looking groom, who was strolling about near the two inns as they came back, should be his servant. Both master and man, being in mourning, assisted the idea. Just, what is mourning, Grace? Um, they're both wearing black, basically. It's what you do at that... I think it, we've probably talked about it, but that's just what you do at this time, is when someone close to you dies, you wear black for a period of time. Yeah, which, you know, we do too, but much shorter. Much shorter, yeah. Um... Okay, yeah, well, so she see, she saw this groom, like this horseman, walking yeah. around, this servant, and he was also wearing mourning, and Anne had conjectured that he probably belonged to the gentleman she saw, right? Yeah, remember, there's, like, no one around at Lyme, besides uh... the, like, locals, so, you know, Anne is just... She's smart. She knows. She made this conjecture previous to seeing the gentleman in the hall. And now that she sees him there, it confirms the idea. Okay. It was now proved that the groom belong... Or it was now proved that the gentleman, rather, belonged to the same inn as themselves. Great. And this second meeting, short as it was, also proved again by the gentleman's looks that he thought hers very lovely. (laughs) And by the readiness and propriety of his apologies, that he was a man of exceedingly good manners. He seemed about 30, and though not handsome, had an agreeable person. Anne felt that she should like to know who he was. Wow. Mm, she sees him again, and look, he... It's, the, it's his private moment. Uh, it's like, yeah. no, uh, no one's watching That's them. true, in this, the hall this of this This very end. hall, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure it's a very narrow hallway. They're like almost like bumping into each Against other. Against each other, yeah. Mm, steamy. Um, yeah. And it, again, he's... he's He's doing a once-over right. on her. It is not a coincidence, the look that he gave her before. Like, he is checking her out, right? Mm-hmm. He is taken by her looks. Um, yes. And so, she that proves that he is definitely looking at her, and also that he is, in fact, a, 
quite the gentleman because of his apologies as they almost bumped into each other, right? Mm -hmm. And he has very good manners. Yes. Uh, he's about 30, and this is interesting. According to Austin, or Anne also, he is not handsome, but he has an agreeable person. What's an agreeable person? What do you think? I think it, well, my note here says it's a personal appearance. So it's like, he's just like, you know, he's all, he's like a well-kept man, well-dressed man. Himself, takes care right? of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He dresses well. I think that's what it means. Yeah. He's a gentleman, right? He carries himself well. Right. Um. Maybe he doesn't have the Roman nose or whatever, but uh, like, you know, he's... He's looking good. I think it's I think it's important to say not handsome. Why would you why? Because a and this is definitely in Anne's POV because no one's no one's as handsome as Wentworth maybe, right? Right. I think it also and we'll learn more about Mr. Spoiler alert, this gentleman is Mr. Elliot, the <laughs> yes. Sir Walter's heir, heir right? Yeah. This Mr. Elliot is definitely like He's a schemer, you know. He was not yeah. born maybe with the natural good looks of like someone you would expect in his position, but he right. like he's had to develop like a personality. He schemed his way into being a desirable man, right? Yeah, like through the development of his like manners and his dress and his the way he carries himself. Right. What do you think? I think you're right. So someone who doesn't look like Henry Golding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also want to point out, this is like, this. these two paragraphs are the first time where we see Anne not trying to, um, or rather, not trying to stop herself from thinking about herself, mm -hmm. you know? Every other instance with Anne, she's always trying to think about how to be helpful to other people, but here, she's not, um... She's not refusing to see this man look at her, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, she's not rejecting this man's looks. He's not. She's not, like, trying to, like uh like 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 rationalize or dissemble it right? yeah like, yeah clearly he's deranged or something <laughs> right uh, yeah. right or he's just like trying to be kindly or something right yeah she's like he's into me and i know i yeah. can't deny there's it. no other explanation uh, for it other than yeah he's uh he's liking what he sees he's admiring me <laughs> it's also and this is the the moment these two moments especially when she sees him on the steps marks the the great transition of this book, which is a trick I have not seen pulled off anywhere else, which is that Anne goes from that role of the best friend to being the romantic lead of this book. Yes. This is the moment where it happens, really on the steps. Like, yeah, she is the, you know, if before it was kind of Louisa, now Anne is the <laughs> romantic lead of this book, which is just such a great, like, pivot to happen. And right in Based right about the middle point. I mean, this is the last chapter of volume one, so. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes, all true. Uh huh. No, I cannot think of another instance where this has been executed as seamlessly and as, like, like this is what the readers want. Readers right. want Anne to take center uh -huh. stage here. So this is, like, the perfect time. And, you know, the best, the best place to put Anne is between two guys, two yeah. eligible guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, now of you know, the triangle before was Wentworth and Louisa and Henrietta. That's right. Which was never a serious triangle. Austin Ooh. never, like, <laughs> but, you know, if anything, that was just, like... That was a perverse Wentworth triangle. Wentworth is dicking around, and, like, this is bad news. That's what Austin thought Right, that, that was, triangle. like, a triangle uh, that brought you, like, anxiety, you know? Here's a triangle that makes you, like, excited to see what happens and next. And that's, that's why that Wentworth... The fact that Wentworth is there and notices it is important, because there are your three romantic leads right now. Yes, and, and, yeah, it's the romantic triangle 
now with Anne Wentworth and Mr. Elliot, mm-hmm. the gentleman, and Anne is defi- definitely the one in charge. She is the Wentworth role now, right? <laughs> yes. She is the apex of the triangle. <laughs> and she is perfect, and she is um, embracing it, you uh-huh. know? Like, she says, it's or rather, it says... Anne felt that she should like to know who he was. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that can be, in, you know. So the, coy, the, yeah. Well, yeah, the chaste way to read it would just be to like, oh, I wonder who this strange man is. But, you know, we all know what it Well, how do you read it? What, is it? what does it mean? She wants to, like, know who this fella is. She wants to get, maybe get to know him and talk to him. I don't, I think it would say she would, I think if she wanted to get to know him more, it would say so. I think she, like, wants to know his deal, right? Well... She should it's like to know who he was. It's very interesting because Anne felt that she should like to know. It's yeah. not that Anne... Wanted to know who he was, right? It's Anne felt that she should like to know. It's almost like she's putting herself out of the situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like... I don't know. It's almost like Anne is like talking to herself. Being like, hmm, I should like to know this man. That's how I read it, at yeah. least. It's like, I, I, you know, I wouldn't mind knowing his name and I think his that's, situation. I think that's the right read. It's not like I'm wild to know more. I'm, right. Or like, I'm, you know, let me track down that man. It's just like, it wouldn't be disagreeable to me if I should come into his company again, right? Exactly. If I should, like, learn more information about him. Yeah. Maybe we're still at that stage where she will only allow herself that much. Uh-huh. She's not going to immediately embrace her role as she's not going to become louisa and like forge her own destiny you know and i think it's also important to like note that she's not necessarily taken with this gentleman like she acknowledges as a gentleman and has good manners but i think what's more interesting to her is like the interest he shows in her right yes she's not necessarily like wow I just saw this beautiful man, and I got to know him. It's like... Well, he's not handsome. He's not handsome. No, this gentleman noticed me, and that's very interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. what's his deal, kind of? Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a natural human curiosity to mm-hmm. that. If someone looks at you, you're like, who is that man? Especially, you know, maybe he's not handsome, but he's a gentleman. He carries himself well. That's true. Uh-huh. That, that is the first thing that she notices yeah. about him. Or the two things that... the. The one thing she notices about him twice at the steps and in the inn is that he's very gentlemanly. Yeah, and that's why it's, you know, these looks of admiration are okay because he pulls it off in such a gentlemanly manner, you know? Right, he's like, not being sleazy uh, about yeah, it. Yeah, he's not sleaze. He's not, like, going out wooga, you know? <laughs> yeah, right? These are, like, polite, like, looks of admiration. Yeah. It, he looks as long as it is proper uh. to look. <laughs> Because, you know, she wouldn't call him a gentleman if he overstepped, like, the boundaries of decorum. That's right, yeah. Okay, let's keep going. They had nearly done breakfast when the sound of a carriage, almost the first they had heard since entering Lyme, drew the party to the window. Drew half the party to the window. It was a gentleman's carriage, a a curricle, but only coming round from the stable yard to the front door. Somebody must be going away. It was driven by a servant in mourning. So this is all in quotations. We don't know who's saying all this stuff. Like, it's a gentleman's carriage, a curricle, blah, blah, blah. We can imagine it's just like the people at the window are are all kind of saying this. Like, shouting it out. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, on top of each other. Uh, You want to keep going? The word curricle made Charles Musgrove jump up. That he might compare it with his own. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, this is, like, where I had to, like, stop reading for a second. Because I'm like, you know. It's just like... You know, in the past 250 years, nothing has changed, you know. Boys just love 
you know, shooting and fast cars or fast, mm. you know, shooting game and fast carriages. And now, you know, 2022, boys like, I don't know, shooting video games and fast cars, exactly. you know, not to be, you know, overgeneralizing, but it's just like this, 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 like, you know, the things that boys like or have not changed. Well, Charles is such, such a boy. He <laughs> acts like a teenager. I mean, he's not that far off from a teenager, I guess. Right. But he hears this carriage and he's like, you know, the curacle, I should say. It's like, is it as good as my own? You know, it's also like the dick measuring thing, too. <laughs> it's like, but it's not as good as mine, though. It's also, well, maybe it's also interesting because, um, I mean, Charles has been like the only, one of the few, there's always been like a, like a, higher like number of women to men in their groups mm -hmm. so like maybe when this new guy comes up he's like well who cares like i bet his i bet his curricle isn't as big as mine you know? <laughs> yeah well that's what gets him that's what he's interested in is the carriage okay um so that he might compare it with his own uh -huh. the servant in mourning roused anne's curiosity and the whole six were collected to look by the time the owner of the curricle was to be seen issuing from the door amidst the bows and civilities of the household and taking his seat to drive off. So mm -hmm. they just missed him. They kind yeah. of they get a last glance of the curricle before he drives off. Okay. Great. Very cinematic. Yes. Ah, cried Captain Wentworth instantly, and with half a glance at Anne, it is the very man we passed. Oh, Wentworth, Ooh. you don't even know the half of Another it. Another past. Yeah, yeah, with a half a glance of Anne. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, he doesn't even know about the other glance. She yeah, Between them, right. upstairs. Uh -huh. Hey, maybe half a glance, it's like indicating indicative of how Wentworth doesn't even know the full situation. Well, it's very, it's cool. That, well, it's like, you know, Captain Wentworth, man of action. He says this instantly. He has to be the first one to say, oh, uh, it's the same man that we passed. And clearly he's been thinking about it. He's been thinking about that look at Anne. <laughs> uh, well, maybe like, like you said earlier, it was like a glance of like admiration, but maybe the more he's thinking about, it, he's like, oh no, like that's the same man. He's around. Yeah, yeah, he's around. Or maybe I'm not so uh, sad that he's leaving, right? <laughs> Okay. The Miss Musgroves agreed to it, mm -hmm. and having all kindly watched him as far up the hill as they could, they, sorry for the, the free music, um, they returned to the breakfast table. All right. So, show's over. Mm -hmm. The waiter came into the room soon afterwards. Pray, said Captain Wentworth immediately, <laughs> can you tell us the name of the gentleman who has just gone away? I underlined immediately. He really is like a like a man of action here. Yeah. He wants to know all the information. Who is this guy? Well, A, he wants to relay information. Uh, and then B, he wants to get more information. Like, now! Yeah. Like, who is this man? Tell me, man. <laughs> Tell me, servant. <laughs> and also, uh, you know, he's curious to know who this man who's been looking at Anne is, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. You and wanna... it's also, well, he is, as a man, he is probably the only one who probably can ask this question to the servant. Yeah, that's true. And as we all know from Jane Eyre... Is someone who works at an inn is the best person to go to for information. Yes. A whole a diff very different kind of yes. story. Okay. Yes. You want to read the, the voice of this waiter? Yes, sir. A Mr. Elliot, a gentleman of large fortune, came in last night from Sidmouth. Sidmouth. Dare say you heard the carriage, sir. And while you were at dinner and going on now for Krugkern in his way to Bath in London. Thank you. I didn't want to read uh, those town names. Oh, wow. So you put it on me. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the gentleman got in last night, gentleman of large fortune, and mm -hmm. uh, now he's going away. Mm -hmm. uh, Elliot, <laughs> many had looked on each other, and many had repeated the name before the, all this had been got through, even by the smart rapidity of the waiter, <laughs> of a waiter. So everyone's like, Elliot, you know, looking around. Oh my around. gosh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Bless me, cried Mary. It must be our cousin. 
It must be our Mr. Elliot. It must indeed. Charles Anne must not it in mourning, you see, just as our Mr. Elliot must be. How very extraordinary. In this very same inn with us. Anne, must it not be our Mr. Elliot, my father's next heir? My father's next uh-huh. heir. Pray, sir, turning to the waiter, did not you hear, did not his servant say whether he belonged to the Kellyanch family? All right. Is he one of the Kellyanch Elliots, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, here, I'll read the waiter. Mm-hmm. No, ma'am. He did not mention no particular family, but he said his master was a rich gentleman, a very rich gentleman, and would be a baronite someday. <laughs> Okay, so what's a baronet, Grace? It's just like he mixed up probably baronet and knight, and he just clomped it together and got baronet. This waiter has is not educated, you know, he speaks in kind of a low way. He says he did not mention no particular family, you know, that's kind of like low speak. Right. And then he doesn't even really know what a baronet or a knight is. I'm sure he's heard both those words, so he like combines them into this weird portmanteau. Of I think baronite. that's like a low-key way of like... Kind of just undercutting, like, how, you know, prestigious a baronetcy is. It's like, well, this man can't even pronounce baronet. <laughs> or you really know the difference between a knight and a baronet. Right. And nor does it make much difference to him. No. Okay. okay. There, you see, cried Mary in an ecstasy. In ecstasy. She's beside herself. <laughs> just as I said, heir to Sir Walter Elliot. I was sure that would come out if it was so. Depend upon it that it is a circumstance which his servants take care to publish wherever he goes. That's... That's absolutely not true. Yeah, well, she's just thinking, well, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, he is the heir to, I like, or Mary's thinking that Mr. Elliot is going around everywhere, everywhere he goes, declaring that he is Sir Walter's heir. Mary's like, that's the servant, Mr. Elliot's servant must be doing that. Oh, that's right, right yeah. Because the Kelly and Schlage is such, so important, but that's not true because the servant didn't mention anything about Sir Walter or Kelly and Shaw, right? Right, it, so Mary literally is, like, not listening to this man, and she's just, like, coming up with her own um, conclusions. I mean, it affirmed that it is Mr. Elliot because of the, baron, the baronetcy thing, but there was no mention of Sir Walter or Kelly no. and Schlage. Uh, Mary goes on to say, but Anne, only conceive how extraordinary. I wished I had looked up I wish I had looked at him more. <laughs> I wish we had been aware in time who it was, that he might have been introduced to us. What a pity that we should not have been introduced to each other. Do you think he had the Elliot countenance? <laughs> what on earth is that? To to the, Mary, what on earth is the Elliot countenance? The, the noble features of the Elliots. I guess so, yeah. I hardly looked at him. I was looking at the horses. <laughs> But I think he had something of the Elliot countenance. All right, she's gone from not seeing him at all to, I think he had the Elliot countenance. I wonder the arms did not strike me. Oh. The, the arms of what? The, um, the, the logo, what's it called? It's like seal, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the, 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 the art. Like, yeah, when, you know what you're talking about. The coat of arms. About. Yeah, the coat of arms, yes, exactly. the coat of arms, yeah, <laughs> the <yeah>. logo. <laughs> um, I wonder the arms did not strike me. Oh, the great coat was hanging over the panel and hid the arms. So, uh, I think she's talking about the carriage. It would have the coat of arms uh, on it, and yeah. I guess his coat just covered it. Something like that. Yeah, she couldn't see the coat of arms. Otherwise, she would have known. <laughs> so it did. Otherwise, I am sure I should have observed them and the livery, too. If the servant had not been in mourning, one should have known him by the livery. Because mm-hmm. remember, all these families have their own like colors and designs and whatnot. Right. And so I guess if he's in mourning, he wouldn't have that up either. Or... Mary is just beside herself, like, like screaming, like, running around the room, you know. That's our cousin! <laughs> I would have known him! 
Meanwhile, funnily enough, she's the only person who actually hasn't seen him. Uh, her was, and Charles. Yeah, she was looking at the horses when they left. Well, also, like, she was the uh, only one not at the beach. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So, so she didn't, she so, needs to see him. And um, has seen him twice. Louisa, Wentworth, and Henrietta have seen him once. Charles um, and Mary have seen him zero times. Yeah. So she's like, I can't believe he was right here and I didn't see him, right? Mm -hmm. Putting all these very extraordinary circumstances together, said Captain Wentworth, we must consider it to be the arrangement of providence that you should not be introduced to your cousin. <laughs> What's he saying here? Well, he's saying like, well, you know, having had all these circumstances where you just missed each other, I guess it's just God's will that you will never meet. It's kind of a joke. He's just like, Mary, calm, calm down a little bit, you know. Like, Mary, uh -huh. Mary, chill. <laughs> yeah, it must be God's plan that you didn't meet if you came so close, and yet that didn't happen. I also think this is like, um, um, went where it's like, all right, can we stop talking about this man, you know, uh, a.k.a. my competition? Yeah, we found out who he is, now let's move on, right? Well, it's funny because he was the one who kept pressing to ask, and then uh, ha and his his choice, his decision to, like, ask and find out who he was is the one who sent Mary into, like, this, this freaking, I don't know, ecstasy, right. fit of ecstasy, uh, and then Wedworth is the one who's like, all right, can we just, like, chill out? Can we? Okay, we know who he is now, uh, right? Can yeah. we just stop talking about him? <laughs> And maybe, you know, maybe he didn't like to hear that uh, this gentleman admirer is someone who's actually, like, could be within Anne's circle, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. He could, I mean, now he's, you're right, this gentleman, this Mr. Elliot, is placed that much more in a good position to be a romantic yeah, rival he's, to Wentworth. He's lo no longer just this random stranger. He's someone, he's a relative of Anne, you know. He's the heir to uh, Anne's house. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, when she could command Mary's attention, and quietly tried to convince her that their father and Mr. Elliot had not, for many years, been on such terms as to make the power of attempting an in introduction at all desirable. So let us not forget the whole sordid history between <sighs> Sir Walter and Mr. Elliot. That's right. How Sir Walter tried to take Mr. Elliot by the hand in society, and Elliot, like spurned his advances basically and went off and horror of all horrors married a uh, rich low-born woman you know denying elizabeth's secret uh wish that she should be that he should marry her right one thing i did because i do appreciate in the movie is that they made this low-born woman american <laughs> anyway, um moving on I'll, i feel like there's one more thing i wanted to say about that but oh well uh Oh, and also that they heard that Mr. Elliot was trashing the good the good family name. That's right. right he yes. was like, I don't even care about being here. <laughs> Sir who? Uh, so Anne is like, Mary, don't forget that we're like actually on terrible terms with Mr. Elliot, right? Yeah, Mary, <laughs> Mary, 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 calm down. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget, we're like, we're not, but we're like, we're not we're a good. We're not terms. friends with them. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, however, it was a secret gratification to Anne herself mm. to have seen her cousin and to know that the future owner of Kelly Inch was undoubtedly a gentleman, and had an air of good sense. She would not, upon any account, mention her, mention her having met with him the second time. Mm. Luckily, Mary did not much attend to their having passed close by him in their early walk, but she would have felt quite ill-used by Anne's having actually run against him in the passage and received his very polite excuses while she had never been near him at all. No, that cousinly little interview <laughs> must remain a perfect secret. Ooh, so now Anne's got secrets mm. of her own. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Anne's Anne, been Anne's been keeping secrets or being the confidant of like every single member of the Musgroves, and mm. now she has her own little secret. Right. 
Mr. Elliot. She mm. saw Mr. Elliot in the hall, that cousinly little interview. And she just it, knows. She's, like, seeing this in this the hypothetical where if she did tell Mary that she not only saw him at the beach, but then upstairs not very long ago, mm-hmm. um, Mary would take it as, like, a personal uh, affront. Right. Like, how dare you? You should have run away when you saw him coming. <laughs> you know, I deserve to see him more. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Mary doesn't is not paying much attention to the fact that they all saw him at the beach. She's too beside herself with like this ram these rambles, I guess. But right. if Anne knows if she had heard that Anne got to see him one on one, like in a close setting, that that would just set Mary off. That's right. Because she's a child. Because <laughs> Mary's a child. No one should have anything I can't have. Of course, said Mary. You will mention our seeing Mr. Elliot the next time you write to Bath. I think my father certainly ought to hear of it. Do mention all about him. So Mary's not paying any attention to Anne's advice. It's uh, like, hey, remember, like, he, Mr. Elliot, like, slighted our family. We're not supposed to be on good terms with him. And Mary's just like, no, you gotta tell, you gotta tell her, you gotta tell our father the next time you write to him. Mm-hmm. Which yes. I guess also reveals something else, which is that only Anne has been writing to her family. Oh, well, it's gonna say so explicitly right, in the yes. next paragraph. But yeah, Mary just, like, not listening at all, being, that, Sir Walter's not... I don't know. Maybe he'd want to hear, but it's not the proprietist thing to do, to be like, hey, we saw that your heir, who we all hate, right? Remember that guy who um, spurned you eight years ago? Uh, we saw him at the beach. <laughs> and guess what? He looks great. <laughs> okay. Anne avoided a direct reply, but it was just the circumstance which she considered as not merely unnecessary to be communicated, but as what ought to be suppressed. So not only is, like, not telling their father about meeting Sir Elliot unnecessary, it's actually, like, something that we really should not be... We should be actively suppressing that information. We should not be doing that. Uh, The offense, which had been given her father many years back, she knew. Okay, Anne knows all about how Mr. Elliot spurned Sir Walter's advances, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sir Walter's advances, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth's particular share in it and suspected. Okay. So Anne does not know for certain that Elizabeth wanted to marry Elliot, but she suspected as much, right? I mean, Elizabeth is like Sir Walter's double, so it doesn't take a huge stretch of the imagination to be like, and, you know, he spurned Sir Walter and by extension, Elizabeth. Honestly, I'm getting sidetracked. This feels like like the, and this is great, there's so many subplots in Persuasion that could be their own novels, <laughs> but the story of Elizabeth and Sir Walter trying to win Mr. Elliot over could easily be like a Henry James story. Like like this father and daughter trying to win this man over, basically. And him just ha- being completely uninterested. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, the offense which had been uh, given to her father many years back and knew, Elizabeth's particular share in the offense she suspected, and that Mr. Elliot's idea always produced irritation in both was beyond a doubt. So... Anne has just seen, having grown up in Kelly, like, the years that have passed um, at Kelly Inch, like, just the name alone, Mr. Elliot, was enough to um, irritate uh, Sir Walter and Elizabeth. Uh, yeah, anytime his name had come up before, Anne always noticed they get irritated. So, of course, she's not, as Mary is telling her to do, gonna write them a long letter all about how they saw him, right? Maybe it's a good thing that Mary's not writing to them. <laughs> Uh, Mary never wrote to Bath herself. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. All the toil of keeping up a slow and unsatisfactory correspondence with Elizabeth fell on Anne. (laughs) So Anne is writing to Elizabeth, and maybe she writes back every once in a while, and they're not very good letters. Mm. Okay, you want to keep going? 
Breakfast had not been long over when they were joined by Captain and Mrs. Harville and Captain Bennick, with whom they had appointed to take their last walk about Lyme. So mm-hmm. they're about to leave. The, the, the whole group is leaving Lyme tonight, today. They ought to be setting off for Uppercross by one, and in the meanwhile were to be all together and out of doors as long as they could. Right. Anne found Captain Bennick getting near her as soon as they were all fairly in the street. Um, this isn't like a legitimate um, romantic um, um, uh, what, choice or whatever, Captain Bennick, but it's just more. It's just it is just lend, lending to this 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 narrative that Anne is growing very very pretty and very and, and in full bloom at, uh, at at Lyme. Anne is like yeah. If it if we weren't quite certain of what Bennick was doing at dinner in the last chapter with all the talk about poetry, I think we now know for certain that he was trying to flirt with her. Yeah. So more of Anne is the romantic, you know, she's the heroine of this novel now. It has happened. All the men are interested in her. Mm-hmm. Their conversation the preceding evening did not disincline him to seek her again. After she basically gave him a stern talking to. Mm-hmm. Did not disincline him. Yeah, great double negative. And they walked together some time, talking as before of Mr. Scott and Lord Byron. Mr. Scott being... Uh, Sir, Sir Walter Scott, right? Yeah. yeah. And Lord Byron. And still as unable as before. And as unable as any other two readers to think exactly alike of all the merits of either. That's a very interesting, that's like a, uni- a very universal statement there. It's like, and Jane Austen's kind of saying, no two, no two readers will ever be exactly alike on, uh, on, on their favorite authors. On or, the subjects of Scott and Byron, right? Yeah. Till, uh, till something occasioned an almost general change amongst the, the party, and instead of, of Captain Bennick, she had Captain Harville by her side. Okay. So, you know, as they're walking on, groups sort of change, and now she's walking with Captain uh, Harville. Yep, exactly. Like out on the walk, yeah, yeah. Things were, they walked by, you know, two by two, and the combinations change up, (laughs) right? Yeah, two by two, three by three. Okay. Miss Elliot said, Captain Harville, speaking rather low, you have done a good deed in making that poor fellow talk so much, (laughs) in reference to Bennick. I wish he could have such company oftener. It is bad for him. I know, to be shut up as he is, but what can we do? We cannot part. No, said Anne. That I can easily believe to be impossible. But in time, perhaps. We know what time does in every case of affliction. And you must remember, Captain Harville, that your friend may yet be called a young mourner. Only last summer, I understand. Meaning what? Meaning he's still in, like, the early parts of grief. Like, he's still hurting a lot uh-huh. he's an early he's a young mourner yeah let's not expect a recovery so soon and also uh let's not push him toward like you know moving on right, right. like his fiance just died like <laughs> let him like let him like mourn a little bit right let him mourn right yeah but also uh we know what time does in every case of affliction accepting herself right yeah That's it right. improves the you makes you get better but yeah but not Anne. not Anne. giving advice that she can't take although she has started the affliction has started to lift from her now it That's is right. we are seeing it lift yeah she's enjoying herself uh-huh. even like i wanted to mention this earlier but even in that conversation again with henrietta all the way in the beginning she is finding kind of like a humor in her conversation like she is finding She's not just, you know, finding joy and looking at nature. She is finding, like, even if it's kind of, like, humor, she is finding, like, 
you know, sources of happiness with the interactions that she has with the people around her. Mm-hmm. Like, she, you know, she appreciated Henrietta's attempt at trying to find common ground with Anne. And even if it came off a bit, like, funny. So I think <laughs> Anne is, like, kind of slowly enjoying living life. I guess even that common ground is like, well, people care about Anne now. They're going to try to make conversation, like, for Anne's benefit. That's right, right? yeah. Which is why, like, Henrietta's, you know, she's a nice girl. (laughs) We have to remember a big reason that Anne has been, like, you know, stewing in her misery is that she has been cut off from other young people, from society, stuck in Kelly and Shaw with, like, Sir Walter and Elizabeth. Yeah, that's also true. So, I mean, her getting out in the world has made, you know... A material difference in her. This is a big reason why she has been rejuvenated. Yeah. Well, that's a, the big, I think the big tragedy of of persuasion is just this time that has been lost, you mm. know? Like, like to your point, maybe if she, like, maybe if she was put into, like, better society, she might have not been grieving Wentworth as hard, you know? Mm. If, if she wasn't, cl- cl- like locked up at Kelly and her entire life with his, like, snooty father and and, uh, Uh, sister, like, maybe she would have, like, not been in such a depression Uh (laughs) for, for, like, all of her 20s. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, so... So it's like, he's a young mourner, he only died last summer, I understand, right? I, true enough, this is Harville, with a deep sigh, (laughs) only June, and remember, we're talking about Harville's sister here, too. Right. And not known to him, perhaps, so soon. Because remember, um, yeah. Harville was still at sea when... Benick. Uh, sorry, Benick was still at sea when um, his when Fanny, when Fanny, died. Fanny Harville died. Yeah, yeah. So he... Okay. Yeah, no. He didn't learn about it, says Harville. Not till the first week in August, when he came home from the Cape. Just so made it... A, sorry. That's just a whole month that... He thought she was alive and she wasn't, Yeah, right? at I, least. I guess what are you going to do? Are you going to tell a man at war, like, <laughs> fiance's dead? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway... He he didn't learn until the first week in August when he came home from the Cape. Just made it into the grappler. I don't know what that means. Just made into the grappler. Just made into the grappler. The grappler, I think, is the name of a ship. Okay, just made... I guess that's the ship he was on. Yeah. I was at Plymouth, dreading to hear of him. He sent in letters, but the grappler was under orders for Portsmouth. The new, There the news must follow him, but who was to tell it? Not I. I would as soon have been run up to the yard arm meaning hung. That's how they hang people in ships. Another crossover between Melville and Austin. (laughs) I would as soon have been run up to the yard arm as to be the person to tell Benick this news, right? Uh, Yeah, I would rather been hanged than been the one to break the news. Uh, Yikes. Nobody could do it but that good fellow, pointing to Captain Wentworth. (laughs) The Laconia had come into Plymouth the week before. No danger of her being sent to sea again. He stood his chance for the rest. Rode up for the leave of absence, but without waiting to return, traveled night and day till he got to Portsmouth, rode off to the grappler that instant, and never left the poor fellow for a week. That's what he did, and nobody else could have saved poor James. That's that's Benick's name. I think that's the first time we learned that. I guess so. You may think, Miss Elliot, whether he is dear to us. Whether who is dear to us. Um, Benick? Or Wentworth? You may think whether... I think it's like, and you know... Went, and that's why Wentworth is so dear to us. I think that's kind mm. of what it's saying, right? I think you might be right, yeah. Because of this, like, great, like, favor he did me, which is breaking this news to Benick. That's right. This impossible news to break. That's right. Yeah, as Har- as Fanny Harville's brother, Captain Harville probably should have been the one to break it to Benick, but 
Harville said himself he'd rather die yeah, than break the uh, news to Benick. And so Wentworth... When he, he did that, yeah. Wentworth... <laughs> like, I know this is a, a terrible, you know, story, but I don't know. Something about Wentworth... Come to, coming to shore to, uh, what, Portsmouth? Uh-huh. And then... Well, let's go through it all. He... Yes, okay. His ship comes in a week, and there's, like, it's a very good chance it's not going to get sent out to sea again. But Wentworth's, like, you know, and he applies for leave of absence, but takes the risk of leaving before he gets uh, the approval. official approval that he can leave, right? Yeah. So if the Laconia should be called off, and Wentworth is, you know, up with Benick, then he could be in big trouble, right? Right. But, if you're, yeah, where's, where's the captain of the ship uh, that's about to be sent off? But he takes this risk anyway. He's like, I'm just going to go, you know, and be with Benick, regardless of whether I get approval or not. Unfortunately, the... Laconia is not called out to sea at this time, so it doesn't matter. Right. He took like a like a calculated risk. Anyway, he yeah, he runs off to Portsmouth. And what does he do next? He rows to the grappler. He <laughs> sorry, this is, he takes like a rowboat and mm-hmm. rows himself to the grappler right, that's kind of this anchored ship, right? Yeah, yeah. And then breaks the news to Poor Benick. I mean, it's very heroic, right? He rows yeah. out alone, you know, through the sea out to break this terrible news, right? Right, and stays with him, it says, stays with him a week, never left the poor fellow for a week, mm-hmm. and nobody else could have saved poor James. So he's like, Harville's saying, the way Wentworth broke this news basically, like, saved uh, Benick's life, right? Like, yeah. who knows what would have happened if someone as steady, like, as Wentworth hadn't broke the news to him. Yeah, or, like, what if, like, he just, like, or, like, Ben had received it through the post. Like. Right, just learned somehow. Right. Yeah, yeah. He might have just jumped off ship. We don't know. We don't you know. know. We don't know Benick. He's a very, like, you know, emotional fellow. <laughs> Poor James. I mean, so that's, what does this tell us about Wentworth? He's a very courageous man. Yeah, he's a great guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's honestly, like, through and through a really great guy. Uh-huh. A good a good friend, you know, right. really good friend yeah, who yeah. had to who had to break this like who wants to do that? Who wants to uh, tell his best friend that his fiance died while for a month for like, a month ago, right? While yeah. he was at sea. I mean, it's so tragic. Like he was, you know, Benwick would like lived a month of his life thinking that his fiance was still alive when she wasn't. Thinking right? like I'm going to head back to uh, Portsmouth and I'm uh, going to be reunited yeah. with my love. Yeah, right. It's it's very true. I mean, this is a story where every single character has been touched by death. You know, uh-huh. no one is, no one is um, free from this. Like this, you know. That's. I mean, that's just what happens when you're so close to the navy. I think it's just that's just something that you have to think about. Is that you're always. There's always a chance. Uh-huh. Even people who aren't naval characters, that's right. like Fanny, you know, was at home. Like that's Sir right. Walter's wife died. Yeah. You know? and Mr. Elliot's wife died. Mr. Elliot's wife died. Yeah. Sir, Sir Walter's wife died. Um, uh, Lady Russell's husband died. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just everyone has suffered. Oh, there's so many widows and widowers in this book. Like, more than I can even count. I think the last tally I did was, like, seven or something like that. But I, I think it's, like, to, to your point, like, in a large way, everyone has this, like, every character in this book has a personal loss, right? Lady Russell's a widow. Yeah. Yeah, like... And I think it's because, I don't know... The characters are older. Jane Austen was older uh, when she wrote this. Maybe she, I don't know, like her, she's ha- she had her brothers were in the navy. Yeah. Maybe she's writing from like a, you know, she was writing like in the in like the winter of her lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, 
I think she's maybe thinking about these things a little more. She's, I mean, Austin was months away from dying herself. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, there's, no, so much loss. Every character is kind of grappling with their own loss in ways. Yeah. (laughs) Whether it's money or, you know, your son or, like, your lover, like, there's, yeah, a lot. Uh, the the Musgroves know, yeah. have even even poor Dick, you know, is a they loss. have a loss. Even the happy Musgroves have experienced a loss, you know. And in Wentworth, obviously, this whole book is about their loss and like the regaining of it, the redeeming of their loss. That's right. Mister Elliot lost his wife. Does does that <laughs> is he does, is he sad about it? We don't know. <laughs> and then Benick, you know, he is like he's almost like it's almost a. Uh, masquerade uh, you know the way that he wears his loss is like very uh external and like almost seems like a show sometimes almost seems like a show but also like but there is a real depth of there's like, a depth yeah, yeah. yeah. there's like, a real uh, pain yeah there yeah which is why like austin never just lets you sit with one or an- one feeling or another where mm-hmm. it's like should you mock this person or should you pity them it's yeah. like you can do both right and we remember harville lost his sister that's right yeah a lot of loss, to be sure. Um, in this romance, in this, this romantic romance, comedy, yeah. Right. Well, that's why this is such a, such a beautiful, fraught love story. You know, it's like, out of all of this loss, there can still be hope for like a, a reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And I think really what it does is it just like increases the stakes. You know, if mm-hmm. you thought like love was silly before, which it, it never is in Austin, but if you ever thought that, like you're not going to think that at the end of Persuasion. You know, right. If, yeah, well, okay, I won't say it until we get to the end, okay. but let's keep going. Okay, and did think on the question with perfect decision, the question of, you may think what Wentworth means to us, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and did think of the question with perfect decision, and said as much in reply as her own feelings could accomplish, or as his seemed able to bear, hmm. for he was too much affected to renew the subject, and when he spoke again, it was of something totally different. So, like we've said before, like, this is Captain Harville talking about his own sister mm-hmm. and his um you know someone who could have been his brother-in-law like i'm sure he's still like if 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 benick is grieving um if benick is grieving his ex fiance who passed away like only like a few months ago mm-hmm. then surely captain harville is grieving his sister who died. yeah and that's also part of wentworth's service to them all when he says you may think how dear he is to us i think meaning the three of us like me, Mrs. Harville, and Benwick. Yeah. Is that, like, not only did he, like, break the news to Benwick and stay with him those that week, but, like, you know, Harville needed his own time to grieve. Like, he couldn't, he didn't have the emotional, like, capacity yeah. at that moment to be like, now I gotta break this to Benwick, to her fiancé, right? That's right, yeah. Wentworth really, just to- really went out of his way to do something he didn't have to do, mm-hmm. which is to just be the person to bring this news to Benwick. You know, now it's like Wentworth will... I mean, it doesn't say it, but Wentworth will forever be the person who told Harville that his fiance Sorry, that told Benick his fiance died. Yeah. Like, no one wants to have that responsibility. <laughs> but hey, he'll take it. I mean, he's a war hero. Yeah, yeah. right. That's yeah, what makes Wentworth, Wentworth great. That's yeah. what makes him worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Mrs. Harville's giving it as her opinion that her husband would have quite walking enough by the time he reached home, determined the direction of all the party in what was to be their last walk. 
So we also have to remember, here's another loss of Harville, is that he's lame. Yeah. That he has sustained this war injury. That's right. And he's not getting any benefits. Uh (laughs) So yeah, it's like, Mrs. Harville sees him struggling, and also she probably sees him despondent, thinking about Fanny. You're right. And is like, we should probably just cut this off. We're going to go home. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they would accompany the Harvilles to their door, and then return and set off themselves. By all their calculations, there was just time for this. But as they drew near the cob, there was such a general wish to walk along it once more. All were so inclined, and Louisa soon grew so determined. Soon grew so determined that the difference of a quarter of an hour it was found would be no difference at all. So, with all the kind leave taking and all the kind interchange of invitations and promises, which may be imagined, they parted from Captain and Mrs. Harville at their door, and still accompanied by Captain Benwick, who seemed to cling to them to the last proceeded to make the proper dues to the cob. And, uh, that's the end of part one We're gonna, yes, this is, as determined by us, we are gonna split the chapter at this moment. At this moment. I'll just leave with the thought of, there's one... just bit ado with the thought. Yeah, exactly. Take leave, I should say. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. There's one very important phrase in this whole long sentence. Here, I'll read the... Let me read it one more time. (laughs) By all their calculations, there was just time for this, for this last walk. But as they drew near to the cob, there was such a general wish to walk it along it once more. All were so inclined, and Louisa soon grew so determined that the difference of a quarter an hour of when they would leave was found would be no difference at all. Hmm. So, well, what's, what's important here? Well, that it was Louisa's doing. Yeah, Louisa soon grew so determined. Like, she, we are going to do this. We're going to walk down to the cop one more time. Yeah. And you know what? So what if we leave 15 minutes later? What does it matter, right? Yeah, but we know she's been emboldened by Wentworth's approval Uh, of being steadfast and determined. Yeah. So they say goodbye to the Harvilles. And, of course, Ben Benick is clinging, clinging with them to the last. Maybe, why, 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 maybe? Ah, uh, he wants to hang out with Anne some yeah, more. Yeah, get some more Anne time in. Mm. And they all proceed to make their pop- proper adieus to the cub. Well, hey, this is great. Well, like, you know, because had Anne not been there, Benek would have probably just continued to mope uh, and gone home with the Harvels. Right. But he, um, he has decided to continue this social gathering, continue to be a part of society, this little society. And, no spoilers, but... He will prove it will be it will prove that he it was a very very good um, uh, stroke of fortune that he was he is with this party. Yeah, exactly. All right, to say goodbye to the cob. Bye, cob. Bye, cob. Adieu. Uh-huh. Um, all right. Any all right. any other closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up part one here? Uh, stay tuned for part two. Like oh. we said before, it's uh available on patreon now so you can go ahead and go to patreon and subscribe and listen to it right now or we'll we'll put up part two next week and of course if you are listening to this podcast in the future weeks in the future months years even dare i say (laughs) it'll be up right now (laughs) (laughs) okay um so until volume one chapter 12 part two uh i'm grace i'm tom bye